0: Welcome everybody. This is the Waystead webinar, our very first, and we are so excited to be uh, hosting and talking to you today. My name is Garnet, and I am the city coordinator in left, for Leftovers in Edmonton. Um, I, my pronouns are he, him, and while I'm introducing myself, uh, I'd like to just give a brief uh, social uh, location or intersectionality. My family I immigrated from Europe um, multiple generations ago. And rather than naming the various privileges that I benefit from, I'll simply say that pretty much all of them uh, I am uh, lucky enough to benefit from. Um, And it's not something that I chose, and I still have difficulty feeling saying that without guilt, but it is important to acknowledge, uh, especially when we're talking about issues uh, such as food insecurity, which is uh, a related issue that we'll get into today. This webinar we're hoping to host, where we will be hosting on a monthly basis. This is our very first one. And uh, we'll be exploring food uh, topics related to food waste in Edmonton with various uh, of our partner organizations in Edmonton. Uh, Leftovers, one of the values of Leftovers is collaboration. And so we're having these conversations back and forth all the time with different organizations in Edmonton. And um, we want to surface some of those conversations and get them into the public sphere so that we can build a community around that and utilize the power of our hive mind to tackle this issue as a city and as a community. So the format of this evening, we'll be having a brief presentation from Tamison. We will, uh, Tamison and I will have a conversation around what we know and what we're exploring and what we're doing with regards to food waste in Edmonton. And then we'll have a Q&A session for the audience participation towards the end. If Uh, doesn't show up soon. Hmm. I would love to, uh, make a immediate and, uh, radical suggestion of talking to Lourdes about the challenges of leftovers and the origin story of leftovers from Lourdes. If Lourdes is around and willing to do that, that would be a fantastic and wonderful backup plan. Um, one more introductory piece that I'd love to do, is to uh, just do a bit of a treaty acknowledgement. And uh, today we're, most of us are tuning in from Treaty 6 in what is now called Edmonton. The Cree name is uh, Amaskatchee Swaskahegan and it's the Cree people as well as the Dene, the Sioux, the Métis, uh, Blackfoot have all been in and around this, uh, this land for generations and thousands and thousands of years. And it's important to recognize that with regards to food security and um, food waste as well, uh, from the food waste perspective, uh, indigenous peoples have their a relationship with food and a relationship with land and a relationship with the plants and the animals that is um, very different from those of us in Western society. And it is a system that, and a thought process and a, a way of being that creates a lot less food waste. And we could learn a lot from them uh, and it's something to respect. In their um, uh, what they've learned, and also on the other hand, I would love to acknowledge that uh, food insecurity is differ- disproportionately affecting Indigenous peoples now that uh, colonization has taken away a lot of their culture and a lot of their um, a lot of their way of being. And so, if we can keep those thoughts in mind as we uh, move forward, that would be fantastic. Um, Yes I think that's what I would like to say with regards to treaty acknowledgement.
1: Hey Garnet this is Audra. Hey Audra. Hi um if you want I know Lourdes isn't here but and I'm like the less cool version of Lourdes but I would love to tell the origin story of leftovers. Well
0: heck yeah let's let's do that then. Well (laughs) welcome Audra and thanks for stepping in. Uh so for those of you who don't know Audra is the interim executive director as uh Lourdes has just taken or is about to take off on mat leave or has already I think already Uh,
1: she's she's at like 15 percent which for Lourdes is like still full-time hours
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah um but we're so glad to have uh Audra taking her place and especially in this moment I'm so glad you came to the rescue hey
1: um
0: so yeah tell us uh could you first introduce yourself a bit more and how you got in with Leftovers?
1: Yes, I would love to. Um, so my my background is actually not related to food at all. Um, I was um, totally converted by meeting Lourdes Juan. So um, my background is actually originally in theater. And then um, I went into some business work. I was a consultant in the startup space and I um, one of my clients actually for my consulting firm was Leftovers. And I got to meet Lourdes and work with Lourdes on kind of framing Leftovers as um, a bit of a more of an innovative charity and um, kind of helping her nail down what some of the the initiatives were that she wanted to do. Um, And through working on that project with her, I was just fell in love with the organization not only does Lourdes have an amazing vision, but she is like the queen of picking the right people at the right time Mm. and really like aligning that purpose. Like I find, I find I get so much out of my, my role at leftovers that I never got even working for myself, which, uh, so Mm. that's my main compliment to her. Mm. Um, And so because I've worked so closely with her over the last year or so, um, I've gotten to hear the origin story quite a few times. I think it's really beautiful. So um, Mm. I'll share a little bit of that now.
0: Yeah, Um, that'd be lovely, go ahead.
1: So um, the year was 2012, Um, uh, Lourdes's cousin um, just asked her if she would come and help pick up some bread um, from a local bakery and uh, deliver it to his church um, that they were going to do some food service at the church. And um, when they arrived at the bakery, it was actually so much bread um, that they needed to they, they wanted to donate. Um, it filled up an entire carload and then an, and then another carload after that. Um, and the church actually didn't need all that bread and so, Lourdes just said well okay I'm gonna just go see if the drop-in center in Calgary will take this so she loaded up her car for the second time and drove over to the the drop-in center and they said oh yeah we're gonna use this up by tomorrow morning probably because we serve over 3,000 people a day Um, and not only was was that like new information for Lourdes but um, she just couldn't believe how one? How much bread was available to be donated, and how, mu- how thankful the service agencies were, how um, integral it was to their operations kind of receive donations like that. And so, oh, Lourdes Juan has just entered the waiting room. So I, she's gonna come in right as I'm telling her story. Ah! Um, anyway, so at the time um, she was working as an entrepreneur, she was starting a spa, she was starting um hive developments which is her uh development company and so um she was working out of coffee shops pretty much all the time and so when around closing she would just go up and talk to them and say hey if i come back um right after you close will you have food for me to take to some service agencies and most of the time people said yes um and so that kind of started this little grassroots thing of lourdes in her car driving around and picking up food and um, you know she anybody who's met Lourdes's family knows that they all just hop on board with any new thing that Lourdes is doing because they're really supportive and wonderful and so she started getting her sisters involved her brother in law. um, Anybody that she could to kind of deliver this food and so it grew from that to being something that needed to be managed in spreadsheets and then in 2019 um there was an app developed to make things a little bit easier more streamlined um the app was built by uh four high school students four high school girls who were learning how to code um and over the last year has been just an insane amount of growth and we're kind of where we are today with um you know just about 30 staff and over 600 volunteers um signed up on the app and so it's been quite the journey. Um, and the thing that I love about it is that it's all about kind of the the small things that you can do in your day to really move the needle on food waste and um, food access. Um, so I feel very thankful to be part of a community that really believes that we can all make change um, when we work together. Uh, I hope I did the story justice, Lourdes. I know you're just popping in, so. Um, we'll see tomorrow when I show up for work if Lourdes is like, good job or bad job.
0: <laughs> yeah, thanks very much. Uh, thanks for telling that. Um, actually, one of the webinars I wanted to do, uh, not in the first one or two, but eventually down the road is uh, dive deeper into Leftovers history and Leftovers um, different initiatives. And um, maybe we could talk about more of the, the different initiatives that Leftovers has and um, what we're seeing in Uh, in food waste uh, and the different ways that we can we can address that. Uh, Could you introduce people perhaps first to Fresh Deliveries if they hadn't heard of it?
1: Yes of course. Um, So Fresh Deliveries was a program that we started um, alongside Fresh Roots which is our sister organization um, during COVID and it really came from the feedback we were getting from the community was that there was a gap in emergency food services in terms of delivery. Um, so, you know, there there are a, a lot of emergency food services out there, but very few will deliver it to your doorstep. And so, with co- like the ramifications of COVID, meaning people are isolating, they can't leave their house, or um, typically would access public transit, which became an unsafe, you know, mode of travel. And so. Um, we really thought that we could help on the delivery front because we have this amazing group of volunteers who already, um, who already are kind of mobilized in terms of delivering food from point A to point B. And so um, what we have is uh, an online ordering system where anybody can go on and submit an order for a fresh food delivery. Um, and it will get delivered by one of our amazing volunteers through the Leftovers app. Um, and it'll get delivered right to your doorstep. Um, and I see that Tamazan is in here now. And so I'll end it on that note. If you need more information on the Fresh Deliveries Program, please check out our web's website um, and um, I will leave it off to Garnet to keep going on this amazing journey. Thank you cool. so much.
0: Thanks, Hadra. Hi, Tamazan. welcome.
1: Oh. <laughs> You know when your
2: day
3: does not go as
2: planned and you have everything arranged and then chaos ensues
0: Mm, yeah
2: and then nothing seemed to work and you want to just cry a little bit so my absolute apologies to everyone
0: that's all right um anything you need uh, to get settled in more
2: um I don't know. Probably not. We're good. Everybody yes. else is wonderful for uh, staying on board and staying with us, I think. So, yeah, applause and I can jump right into it.
0: Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks, Tamsin. Um, Yeah, we just uh, had a brief chat with Audra, who's the interim executive director of Leftovers. So it was really great to get a little background and um, there's, there's lots of support. So we got this. Uh, but yeah, um, welcome, Tamsin. Uh So good to have you on. Um, it's,
2: it's a pleasure, and I look forward to sharing so much about the food bank with everybody.
0: Yeah, uh, maybe I'll just pass it off to you right away, um, it, and you have a short presentation prepared for us, and then we can go into some more in-depth uh, conversation after that.
2: Definitely. Uh, I'm going to do a whirlwind uh, review of Amazon's Food Bank, we'll have time for questions after and I'll share my contact information too for more details. So we envision a community where no one goes hungry at Edmonton's Food Bank. We recognized our 40th anniversary on January 16th, and so we're very pleased for that milestone because with the establishment of the Edmonton's Food Bank, we were able to reconcile two things. One is that surplus food was going to waste, and two, people were going hungry. So we were able to bring that together and create the Edmonton Gleaners Association. So many people don't, know the term, it is an older term, biblical term, about gathering and harvesting. Some people now were able to use uh, rescue or uh, salvage those leftovers and be able to share it with people in need. So we are the Edmonton Gleaners Association, but our common names is the Edmonton Food Bank or the uh, Edmonton Food Bank. This is some of the beautiful gleaned product that we're able to get so most people hear about our most needed food items that we ask for the community, those are non perishable food items. Because we get so much beautiful product that is surplus from the food industry that we're able to share and reuse and not have it go to waste. We were able to help over 60,000 different individuals through our hamper programs last year alone. So hamper is ba- built based on the family size and makeup, how many adults, children, infants. They're quite generic. However, people are able to tell us their dietary needs uh, for those hampers, whether they're celiac, diabetic, or any other supports that they need, uh, whether it's toiletries, maybe diapers, or feminine hygiene products as well. And this is, is a self-referral program, that somebody needs our support, that they refer themselves and give us a call, or they're working with a social worker that is sending in their information for us to set up uh, their hamper for them. You will hear us say that we serve about over 20,000 people a month, and that's because those 60,000 people are needing us for a variety of re- reasons in their life. And of course, The average amount of time people need our help in one year is about four times they'll need a hamper from us. They have other supports and we try to encourage them to make sure their taxes are done so that they can access other um, tax breaks or child tax credit and those kinds of things that are triggered through other uh, avenues of support in the community. We work collaboratively with over 250 other agencies, churches, food depots and shelters in Edmonton we're actually set up as an organization to redistribute food. So we're gathering the food and redistributing it out so that we're other organizations and other charitable groups can focus on their areas of expertise. They don't have to worry about gleaning food, uh, coordinating food, having those freezers and coolers, and just picking up food from the food bank. They help offset all their costs and able to do the work they're doing in the community, which is vital with those organizations that we're supporting, we're able to provide the 350,000 meals and snacks that they're serving out the community. So this is a beautiful picture of one of our partners. It's Mark from Hope Mission. And Hope Mission comes in two to three times a day. So he follows the trucks as they're going out, bleeding this food from the food industry, bringing it to our warehouse, and he's watching and seeing what's come in. And then he gathers the stuff that he knows that his organization can use and brings it back to the kitchen and that's when the kitchen creates their meal plan so it's a little bit of a reversed uh ideology about us let's go shopping then build a meal plan nope we're going to go shopping and then build the meal plan so that we know how we can use everything more efficiently less waste and it's better for the environment we have two warehouses that are a one minute walk between them we have our primary warehouse, uh, the main warehouse where all the food is uh, being built, and that's where our agency partners go. And then we have our annex that is just, again, uh, two doors down. And that's where we have our learning center. We have the Salvation Charm Pathways of Hope, my resource development communications team, as well as our uh, call center for our clients to call into uh, is based out of the annex. We moved 4.8 million kilograms of food last year and shared that with the community. This is a wonderful shot of the warehouse. We never wanna let our food stocks go get too low or else you run into a situation where there's sometimes kind of shipping or uh, distribution problems. And that's where some food banks got hit at the beginning of the pandemic in which we l- always look at six to eight weeks out, how much food product we have in the warehouse and what we have to order in advance to make sure that we are in queue along with all those big warehouses and grocery stores with the food purchases. 60 to 80% of that 4.8 million is gleaned from the food industry. Again, that salvaged food that would go to your landfill. Perfectly edible food should not be going to our landfills. So that's what we're able to do. And so our first part of the mission is making sure that people have food, but then we get the added benefit of helping the environment. Our food industry partners are grocery stores, food distribution warehouses, producers, farmers. We have banquet halls that are also helping our support. And I'm just very happy and honest that we're really pleased and excited to work closer with leftovers as we are both kind of spearheading and going into a bit different directions, but we're doing the same work. So we're working closer together and we're really looking forward to that. In the past, we uh, food-raised our non-perishable food items through community community events, and we all know what COVID did to all of us, so we're very fortunate to have the grocery stores having bins and then people drop it off to us. Uh, This photo is from the Winter Wonder Forest, which we had a cohort from one of our agency partners called Our House Addiction Recovery. They had gentlemen go out that could work together because they all lived together and collect the food at that event for us because we were able to keep that cohort nice and tight and adhere to AHS guidelines. Second helping, and that's with our banquet facilities. So we have um, right now, the Rogers Place as well as into Convention Center. Then in the past, when they're fully operational, they would create extra in the kitchen, uh, that surplus. At the end of the night, instead of going in the garbage, they would freeze it in the tins, market it, write the ingredients on it, and that would go to the different agencies that are approved for that. So that would be house Addiction Recovery and Hope Mission. I know those two organizations would be able to access that product and it could be anything from pork chops to steaks to hot dogs because you never know what you're going to get at some of those banquet halls. We encourage people to grow their own food from our clients to as well as the general public because that garden carrot tastes so good. Um, it's good for your mental health, it's good for the environment, and it's good to grow for others and yourself as a family. So we do participate in a to grow a rope, and this photo is the south side of our annex warehouse where we were able to have some garden plots. We work closely, as I said, with AHS, and they have a program called Collective Kitchens, um, which is on high... Uh, I can't, Uh, off to one side right now because unfortunately they can't run because of the pandemic and we're looking forward to that coming back. So it would be working with uh, people that aren't as comfortable in the kitchen that would like to develop their cooking skills as well as could be new immigrants that learning how to cook with Canadian food because it's readily available and how to change the palates and introduce maybe some new foods or ethnic foods to others. So it's a great opportunity to cook together and save money. We couldn't do the work we're doing without our volunteers, they double our workforce and we're very pleased that they've stuck by our sides throughout the entire pandemic to support us being able to help our agency partners as well as the community through um, food hampers. In 2015-2018, we did client surveys to find out what are we missing. We're very good at food at Emotions the but what's missing for the people we're serving? And we are trying, looking at doing a 2021 client survey to uh, piggyback off of these baseline knowledge. From these surveys, long-term unemployment affected our clients. Stress and physical health cannot be ignored. Affordable housing is a big issue. And then as well, since those two surveys, we know that affordable childcare, those things are big issues that we have to support uh, people in our community with. So those surveys created are beyond food. And that talks to the second part of our mission, finding solutions to the causes of hunger. And with that, that program, uh, the gentleman, the shortest gentleman right in the middle between Amanda there, his name is Wissam, he's our coordinator. And he does amazing work with those individuals and supporting people where they're at from uh, resume writing, job searches, sometimes it's a mock interview, we have a janitorial program where we knew that people could develop some skills in that area to get employed. We've also uh, taken a look at resumes where you have to go from chronological to skill-based because there's so many hiccups in that. And then sometimes it gets flipped again, and you realize this individual actually needs some mental health support from people. So we'll tie them into the Canadian Mental Health Association, and then when they are take care of those issues, we can maybe get them back. In addition to that, we're very fortunate that we have uh, groups like the Amage Community Foundation uh, and some private donors from TD. And we're looking at more that will actually pay for safety tickets for individuals coming to see us. Because we want to stop that vicious cycle that I need to get a job, but I have to get this safe food handling ticket. That safe food handling ticket costs money. So I need to, how do I get that when I have no money? But I need money to be able to get the ticket. So if we can get people and trained, if we can get that learning for those individuals and help them, then we hope that that would decrease their need and of the food bank and become more food secure and uh, have less risks of the poverty. Like many others, we've had our challenges from pandemic the start from March 11th, when pandemic was declared to the 13th, when everything was on shutdown, to Sunday the 15th when I was in here with our executive director, moving tables and chairs out of our reception area to make sure we can adhere to that physical distancing so we don't have to close. We had masks and gloves uh, mandatory in our facility from the onset and of course funding from the provincial and federal governments actually all went to purchase food to make sure again that we have those resources and that food stock available to all of our agency partners, as well as people in our community. I have to say that some great things came out of the pandemic for us, that we're working closely with groups like Drive Happiness, and they're helping us deliver directly to the most vulnerable people that don't have other supports and that who have tested positive or are in isolation. They can't just order food. So we're making sure that their deliveries of their hampers can go straight to their homes to them. And so this is a whirlwind and I think that is all for now. And I'm looking forward to answering questions and having those conversations with everyone.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much, Tamison. Um, that was uh, insightful <laughs> and I'm learning new things about the food bank every time I, uh, every time I hear one of these presentations. Um, if you wouldn't mind stopping the screen share, that'd be awesome. Excellent. and then uh one of my teammates yeah great okay we're both spotlighted all the technical uh challenges are here well i love what you said that um leftovers and the adventin food bank are operationally um you know different but tackling the same issues and yet we have these different focuses um to our organizations and uh yeah like love the conversations that we're having and um and the steps we're taking One of the first questions I'd love to explore with you is the like the food landscape, food waste redirection landscape in Edmonton and who is doing what and what are we doing well as a city in terms of food waste reduction? I mean, obviously the food bank rescuing millions of pounds of food per year is a fantastic step and there's other organizations that are also operating. Um, So uh, what what are we doing well and what are some gaps that you see that uh, Edmonton is missing with regards to that?
2: Oh, that's a loaded question. So that's a lot of uh, questions,
3: yeah.
2: <laughs> definitely, um, even for us sitting down together, Garnet, that the food bank and leftovers working better together, that is key. I know we just had our first meetings with Zero Waste Edmonton recently from my side at Edmonton's Food Bank, so that is wonderful. We know that the grocery stores are doing the best that they can uh, with diverting food pro- uh, surplus food products to us and i know that farmers were getting on board with, provincially with other farmers uh for our food banks canada and the alberta food banks uh, to make sure we keep that product from landfills that is still edible for everyone so i'd like to think that you know the work we're doing we're like uh tools in our toolbox that we have available that we're working towards that some of the biggest gaps i see though is for us as individuals and the education that we have to get out there and be able to get people to understand the biggest difference and the challenge we have, best before, expiration, packaged on, all those dates that Mm -hmm. seem so confusing to everyone, including us on our end. So we have to really watch that. Mm -hmm. If we're able to get a handle on that and share that with everybody, maybe we'll have a different stance. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we've even had people say that they've thrown out product and it said best before MA and the date it's like wait if it says best before the MA it's actually May avant. it's the French equivalent of best before it's not May so it's not way past that best before date it is just how that's written and even I've seen some of them. Like, I have no idea what some of those dates are because it actually mm-hmm. is a packaged on a date but it's still fine so Food banks of says one to two years to three years on uh, canned goods. Realistically, close to seven years is fine with our canned goods. And we have to get closer to our food and maybe get more intimate with our food and take a look at those cans. And make sure that they're not bloated, not rusted. They're not. Ha- they don't have those sharp dents. When you open your cans, take if it makes a funny sizzling popping sound, maybe you shouldn't eat it. Uh, maybe you should throw that one away. But if it doesn't. It should be good. Uh, dairy products from yogurt to sour cream and cottage cheese. It's cultured dairy. Take a look at that, at it. If there's no mold on it, it's been transported fine. You can eat it past that date. It's not an explanation date. It's a best before. The milk in my own fridge, uh, I had to smell it every day because I'm like, eh, it's still good. Pour it in your coffee. It's still fine. It doesn't curdle.
0: It smells mm-hmm.
2: okay. It's four days past that date. But then I've also had milk that I'm like, why does it smell bad? I still have six more days left in it. So it, we have to get more intimate with that food and know how to use it. Uh, take a look in your fridge. And when you see that um, spinach, you're like, oh, I'm not going to eat it. Oh, but it might go bad in a day or so. Boil it. That's what bad spinach looks like in the first place. And it gives you a couple extra days on it. <laughs> so again, it's those, the lack of understanding and knowing how we can use our food and going to that fresh food first and use the packaged food secondary. We need to take that to heart now. And that's kind of one of the gaps that I see. Industries looking at it. I know that we've written letters to our government about those best before and expiration because people look at best before or packaged on and they see it as an expiration date. So we have to get governments to change that, I guess, uh, criteria for things. And then again, as individuals, what can we do as an individual to support this? And there is realistically some product you do have to throw out. And there's no mm-hmm. way we can salvage it. It's not good for people and it's not good for even animals. And it mm-hmm. could be that soft uh, cheese that does have mold on it. So mm-hmm. you as an individual, you can't cut it off. The hard cheese, you can cut it off and it will be fine, but the mm-hmm. soft cheese, you can't. So we have to always take that into consideration.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely see the, the disconnection of people to food. I actually grew up on a small farm, and my mom's personal mission is to reconnect people with food. Um, so that's like, fall close to heart. Um, I'm curious, um, do you think that then the, the majority of food waste is happening at a personal level um, rather than an institutional level? I, I think...
2: I guess it'd be my perspective. I see the industry doing the best because there is a low profit margin for farmers. There's a low profit margin for these stores and these, these uh, distribution chains. So they're going to do the best they can to save and get the best most bang out of the buck Mm
3: -hmm. as
2: individuals. Yes. I see. That's where even in my own household, I have to argue with my husband. I'm the one that will eat all the leftovers no matter what and Mm -hmm. open that can of beans. that says, has four years passed that best before date and eat it because I'm like, no, I don't like seeing food go to waste. Mm -hmm. But I can see where we haven't gotten that opportunity to get to know our food better, to know how the food comes into it, to know how things are processed even. So Mm -hmm. I think that we we can do stuff as individuals a little bit more. Um, And then of course, I'm very pleased that the work that we're doing at the food bank with leftovers and everything that we're doing what we can do to again keep that uh industry down as best we can
0: mm-hmm. yeah totally um okay uh next question i would love to hear a, a couple of things that you touched on in your presentation uh, were with regards to the foods that people need and uh, whether it's um dietary restrictions or uh culturally relevant foods and then there's also you don't really necessarily control which food is being donated by our different organizations. So how does that line up? Is the food that's being donated the same food that the people need? And is there more food being donated than people in need or vice versa? Um, what's that relationship like?
2: Well, all the food that comes into Temitences Food Bank, we actually we have uh, volunteers that sort through. So that's where we put like items together. So uh, Asian focused foods will go together, celiac, Uh, friendly foods will go together we will have pork free section and then you have your your regular your pasta pasta sauce your canned meats and everything so we do have a formula with our generic kind of uh, base hamper products that go into it and then of course all the fresh stuff on top of it that goes in so I see that there's definitely a lot of more ethnic food than we can actually use sometimes. However, that's where some of our regular hampers, they will have um, extra soy sauce in it or something because we're like, okay, well we have an abundance of soy sauce, we just need to move some of this extra out. And it's a surprise sometimes for some individuals that may not have asked for that specific ethnic food. Our agency partners that come in, we have it in bulk on shelves that they're able to go through and figure out what they can use. and then. But realistically, the food that we're using uh, for whether uh, people think that it's not culturally appropriate, it is Canadian appropriate. So we do work with groups like Islamic Family Social Services. So they uh, understand uh, the needs for that community with new and So they'll place an order with us what they're in need of, whether it is oil, flour, potatoes or anything like that so we'll make sure that they get access to that and we'll ship it to them they'll be able to build the hampers and we encourage people that are of the Muslim faith that are new Canadians to go through that organization because again they understand the culture they speak the language and then they can add extras in because uh, unfortunately we don't work with halal meat we do get meat product but not necessarily halal meat so We do try to do that partnerships to make sure that individuals get access to the right, uh, culturally appropriate foods. And even our uh, indigenous populations, we were the first uh, food bank that's outside of a reserve and settlement to be approved with the Alberta hunters who who care that's Alberta sharing the harvest, I guess it's called now, um, which is animal meat. So moose, mule deer, elk, that has been harvested by a hunter gets taken in and gets packaged at an approved abattoir that comes to us that we can share out with our indigenous groups and everything so we are very fortunate to have extra uh, ability to share what people need and how they need it and again sometimes it's it's good to meet people at that cultural level and we're looking forward to sharing how people can use the readily available product that we're growing here in Alberta with them too, in turn. Because again, it's wonderful to have that ethnic food and we wanna encourage that, We, we love eating it, but when potatoes are a staple food item here in Alberta it's always grown, let's introduce that as an option. And it might be introducing it as an option, within um, the Sikh and Punjabi community where they add the spices where you would traditionally have just the rice but engage with those communities to make sure that we can share as much of the food as we can.
0: Hmm, hmm. Interesting yeah it occurs to me that the there's like the surplus foods are also sometimes the the local foods um, right that that were that are growing here and uh, I was talking with a friend of mine recently and he was saying that a lot of culturally, cultural foods are grown out of um, the what is available locally and what is surplus locally. So um, if in Ireland, where they have a lot of potatoes, they'll have a lot of potato dishes. And so, yeah, from cultures, other cultures coming into Edmonton that don't have the foods grown here, where they come from, there'd be some, certainly some learning. Yeah, um, yeah excellent. Um, Uh, So another question I'm curious on your take on is, if we're tackling food waste, let's say our primary objective is, uh, because there's food waste and food insecurity are heavily linked in both of our work, if we were to turn the lens to food waste specifically, do you think that the models that uh, we're operating on is the best approach to reduce the amount of food going to the landfill?
2: I think it's uh, quite complex because um, what we're doing, like we even have waste on our side. So we're trying to work with Waste Edmonton uh, to compost as much as we can. I know that there's still some product that we don't want to see wasted, uh, that we get in surplus at different times the year. We're going to pick on poor potatoes because in the fall we get an abundance of it. But this year we actually rented a, a semi-trailer uh, refrigerated and heated uh, trailer that we're just finishing up using all those extra potatoes uh, from the gardens and the farmers that we got in. So those pallets and pallets of unwashed potatoes, they do keep, but you have to keep them temperature guarded. So we're doing our best on that side. It's its always that we can always do more and whatever that more is, is sometimes it takes us to sit back, okay, there will be a cost to that more and how can we actually do that? And um, I really I, I watched uh, I think Zero Waste Edmonton's webinar where the where Mike mm-hmm. was talking about uh, repurposing and I really valued instead of just recycle let's repurpose how can we repurpose some of the surplus too that might not fit in the food bank realm and it might not fit left but is there another way that we can do that together that. Fits with all of our mandates and how can we make sure that we reduce that and is it may, maybe it's not even us is the answer maybe it is a third group or something i don't know hmm. um but it is definitely for us to sit down in situations like this to have these conversations to figure out okay what barriers are there is it actually a willingness to who cares what happens or is it a cost prohibitive we have these great ideas but maybe we have to wait a couple of years to see that oh, some of the technology has to get a bit more advanced before we can take uh, something and turn it into something else.
3: Hmm.
0: Hmm. And I maybe... like this... Go ahead. Please oh, sorry, us. I was
2: going to say, I know that they're building some uh, incubators in South Edmonton. Maybe we have to have our own kitchen there or something, Garnet, that
3: hmm.
0: we get
2: surplus from us and you and we get it all together and we're able to share.
0: Yeah, yeah, lovely dream. Yeah, I, I love the idea of um, when, when you have excess food, somehow turning that into meals, preserving it somehow, and, uh, and then it, like extending its, uh, its life um, through a longer period of time. Maybe that's one of the solutions that, that, and that's the kind of solution that I would love to come as a precipitation of these conversation out uh, of this webinar. I think I'm just gonna ask a, one more question. Oh, go ahead. Well, I think there's a
2: question on the side though, in our chat, I don't know if we can jump that or we ask you. I, I want to get
0: one more question in, and then and then we'll go to questions from the audience. Yeah, because oh. um, we'll we we'll reserve at least ten minutes at the end for uh, audience questions. I have a like a general question. We saw the mission of the food bank um, briefly. It's uh, the um, you know rescuing food and uh, feeding people. And what is what are some of the primary barriers the food bank faces to accomplishing that mission? Say if your goal is to reach a point where you no longer have to exist, um, what is the barrier to getting there?
2: I don't think we'll ever get to the point where we don't need the food. Mm -hmm. There will always be poverty in some capacity, whether or not certain programs can roll up and change and close uh, from the individual hamper program. So maybe we get everybody food secure, but we will have a segment of our population that potentially has mental health challenges, substance abuse issues, other extremely dynamic aspects that another agency partner of ours will be working with and they would need food for that client. So whether or not we, uh, everything changes in the future, again, it would be nice to say, we don't need a food bank, we're good. All we need to do is that gleaning to make sure food doesn't go to landfills. That would be wonderful. I don't foresee that happening anytime soon And I don't foresee that we will be completely zeroed out for the people that need our help in the future. There will always be segments of our population that we have to support. And we're going to be here until the end.
0: Until the end. (laughs)
2: Until the end. We're going to keep on going. Come on, Garnet. Come on, positive thinking. That's all we can do right now.
0: Yeah. Let's hope the end is far away. And uh, and let's hope that um, society proves you wrong that you know eventually we solve poverty and and everyone is food secure. Um, but in, in the meantime, I, I, would, I would tend to agree with you. I think that our social issues are deeply ingrained in our society and it's not going to, they're not gonna be solved anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think at this point I would love to open up to questions from the audience. I see we have one uh, or two in the text box uh in the chat box and uh if anybody wants to unmute themselves and ask a question um we can do that after this this first question and um uh yeah so with without further ado i'd like to ask or forward our first question with it which is in your experience um both uh, yourself and leftovers what are some common reasons why businesses are reluctant to donate their food is it transportation costs concerned with expiry date etc what do you think, Jameson?
2: Um, Definitely, I've heard that like, people don't realize that we have the Charitable Food Act here in Alberta uh, that protects a business, as well as an organization handing out food. We do have to make sure that, that we've done all of our proper due diligence to make sure that food is safe, but there is that act here set up in Alberta and every province has it. So some people aren't aware of that, some companies aren't aware of that. Uh, transportation cost, and that is a big issue. Hence why you have wonderful volunteer teams that go out and we have our fleet that goes out and does those pickups um, as well as concern for expiration dates. That again, that goes back 95 to 98% of all of our product is actually best before dates, not expiration dates. The biggest expiration dates is actually maybe Formula, Boost, Ensure, uh, Tetra packs uh, for soup though, and those juice boxes. Those are really expiration dates. Uh, baby food we treat as an expiration expiration date items to the food bank, most like mostly because people just throw it out anyway. It's whenever you add nutrients and add things to a lot of like so vitamins, minerals, and everything like that, that breaks down. So that's where you have sheer expiration dates on products. What
3: mm-hmm. about you? Mm-hmm. Do you want to
2: pipe in on that one? <laughs>
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's, that's really accurate. And um, something that I've run into several times is uh, especially when I'm phoning chains that there's like, nope, sorry, company policy. We don't do that. And that one is really challenging to me. Um, and uh, maybe that's something that requires like national pressure or provincial pressure. Um, but that one, I, is that something that you run into as well?
2: Um, when Walmart and Target first came to Canada, uh, Marjorie, our executive director, and I had to review, I think it was almost 50 pages legalese for the document to sign off on, as saying that we won't be selling the food product collected, that it's gleaned, it's free, and we won't be suing, and that we have all of our checks and balances in place, and that we're not going to uh, be diverting uh, money to uh, terrorist organizations or anything like that. So it was astronomical but again it's those companies obviously have gone through things and again they're head companies so uh, they have different stipulations it is hard and it's a lot of work and a lot of administration to get through and difficulty so that's for sure but I know we've been able to navigate some of them some of them we're still trying to
3: navigate at this time
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah certainly yeah, that one, that one is one of the most challenging. I'm very a grassroots person by nature. And when uh, I run into these like corporate um, multinational roadblocks, I i can't deal with it. I just phone up some more local cafes and, and they're all like, yeah, we'd love to. We love food rescue organizations. Um, and that that brings my heart back up when I continue going.
2: <laughs> so you just have to call one of the big businesses and then go back to one of the small locally owned and go, okay.
0: Yeah, Vancouver yeah, exactly. Three. Yeah, they care. And that's like getting in touch with, with your food as well and getting in touch with what's what's real and local and for you. Mm-hmm. Um, next question, uh, comments on universal basic income and the potential for that to uh, uh, solve the world's problems or at least alleviate some of our food insecurity challenges.
2: Yes, yeah, so um, I feel as though we kind of test pilot that when CERB was introduced in the I guess early spring and into the summer with some of that. So our numbers, January, February, March of 2020 was going straight up. Like March was the highest March we've ever seen in our history as an Mm -hmm. organization. And we know what happened in March. So it was going straight up. All of a sudden, April kind of dropped and plateaued, May, June, July. And so we saw at the food bank that there was a drop and people were a little bit more established. Granted, there are some individuals and families out there that their challenges are so complex that even putting it out, it would sound like a story and it's all made up, but they're so complex and so many different sides to it that those individuals still needed some support. So we still had over 17,000 people coming to us because sometimes that also, when you think about it, the people get this basic universal income, but they have some debts. How do you deal with the debts? They still have to deal with that. It's not just wiped away. So basic universal income, I saw that great supports out there. I thought it was wonderful to give people a boost, especially our most vulnerable. But at the same time, there are other factors that have to come into play to make sure that we actually move people completely from that system.
0: Mm. So it's a good first step. It gets a lot of people uh, food insecure, and there will still be food people food insecure beyond that. Yeah. And
2: when most people, when we did our surveys, are tied that they're food insecure because they're poor. So mm-hmm. poverty is the problem.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: A symptom is being food insecure.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So we have to try to get, again, some people will definitely benefit. Individuals that are an age, for example, like, you know, they can't work. Okay, bump them up to make sure that they can afford food their housing, make sure that they can afford what they need to be able to afford. Because when a single individual or a couple on H, it won't cover all the bills. We have to make sure that affordable housing is available. We have to make sure affordable childcare is available for families. So there's a whole lot of different areas that have to intertwine to have a real big impact to see the food bank disappear completely. And it is very complex.
0: Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Social issues, environmental issues, uh, all being interrelated. Uh, the more time I spend in this sphere, the more interrelated they become. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one other question that, uh, I would love to take your, uh, have your take on, uh, our, our team was doing some research on Thomas and Ben's night, and we discovered that you did a psychology and sociology degree as their bachelor's degree. And, uh, there's interesting, elements of sociology and psychology with regards to food waste and how we name it and how we address the issue, especially when we're, uh, talking about food security and dignity, uh, and how, how, what's your experience and that perspective on that? Cause we have to talk about food waste and we also have to respect people's dignity in, um, you know, not saying we're giving you, you know, garbage.
2: <laughs> yeah. And uh, definitely there is some, I guess, past things that, that will haunt us for, for a long time about that, is that people vi- envision a food bank giving out garbage. And so that is a stereotype that is actually portrayed onto food banks.
3: And, mm-hmm.
2: and my person opinion is for Amityst's food bank, it's like, no, we try to give out the best product that we can for people. We try to teach our volunteers when they're building with food hammers if you're not going to eat it, don't expect somebody else to eat it. But then at the same time, you know, sometimes it's not perfect product, that it's naturally imperfect. So, and again, it's about that education background and those personal perceptions that that orange or that tomato doesn't have to look perfect. It just has to, mm-hmm. it doesn't mm-hmm. have to go around. It could be kind of weird and have little things sticking out and it'd be fine. It just looks different but it's perfectly good so we have to get around those social constructs those sudden, those moments where we're like oh we're i guess we could go back to what a grocery store they want everything perfect and so that is what we're tuned into everything has the carrot has can't be a wonky carrot it can't be a kind of carrot that's like weird it has to be perfectly straight No, it doesn't have to be. So we have to change those constructs in our own minds. So that's hard to do on an individual basis. And then we have society that perpetuates that when we see our commercials for our food commercials, when you see those perfect camera shots that come in, zoom in, and you see it, it's all wonderful. Mm -hmm. So that is a very difficult thing to, I guess, uh, counteract. Um, And people's personal perceptions where uh, they say, well, I want to keep my dignity, uh, I don't want to have to go to the food bank again, the hardest things to to ask for in this world is um, I'm sorry, I need help and what was it Worcestershire sauce <laughs> Like those are the three hardest things in the world like how do you ask somebody for help And, and maybe it is more of a um, a construct too that we should feel bad about asking for help.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and
2: we shouldn't um mark our director of operations was at a cbc turkey drive event about four years ago and there was a gentleman watching from a distance and uh, asian gentleman he's watching and then he walked up and grabbed the flyer and walked away read the flyer and came back and he was like you don't shame them and mark's like excuse me it's like you don't shame them he's like no we don't he's like back home we shame like they would do in china is that they would put a table fill it up with food call the cameras and ask and tell the poor people to come get their food in front of the camera and they would shame them and we're like no we don't do that here Mm. we don't do that we don't show if you see faces on anything behind me these aren't faces of clients these are faces of uh other random kids and uh i think the oh the little girl is i think she's 12 now uh but she's a friend of the food banks right so you know we don't shame people Mm -hmm. We want to help people Mm
3: -hmm. and this
2: gentleman went back home and he started a food bank in China modeling that that not to shame people to give people that dignity give them the food that they need but again from our side of it too so we have to understand that the food isn't going to be that picture perfect food Mm because it is gleaned from the food industry it is that wonky carrot that doesn't quite fit in that bag it is that bag of apples that one is rotten but the rest of it is
3: good mm-hmm.
2: so for us to reuse and to make sure and to have those conversations with people that we don't have to be ashamed to ask for help I mm-hmm. ask for help on a daily basis and I still always need help
0: <laughs> so mm-hmm. but
2: I'm also I've had to ask for help for my family mm-hmm. where I where I am right now is because I've asked for help from my in-laws to help us get to where we are it's okay to ask for help
0: hmm
2: and I think that is the hardest thing for us to get over as individuals.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's like a, a heartfelt note. And I feel like that's something that um, we can close on. I'd love to chat more and there's a bunch more questions, but I think that we've committed to our seven o'clock um, end time. And although we could continue till 7.30 or eight o'clock, I'm sure with the questions, um, I think we uh, will end there. Um, we'll send out uh, Tamasen's contact information if that's all right with you, Tamasen. Right oh, I think I
2: just put it all in the chat.
0: So because oh, well, I saw that's some, good. I saw
2: some great uh, questions there that
0: yeah.
2: Shalene and everybody has been asking. So I think that's uh, really good, mm-hmm. um, and I would love to answer them and uh, share my perspective.
0: Totally, yeah. Uh, and everybody out there is welcome to reach out to Tamasen to uh, to have those questions answered. And uh, I'd be also be happy to um, add in any leftovers perspectives that we have. We'll also be sending out a, a survey and a follow-up email uh, in the next week or so. So with that, thanks very much, Tamason. Um, I think this would call it a success as our first ever Wasted webinar and looking forward to more. Um, any parting comments?
2: Um, I'll, I'll be on time and I'll be able to log in properly. I can do this. <laughs> I have to ask good. for help. My apologies, everyone.
0: No problem. Yeah. Uh, Glad we made it through. Uh, Our next one, uh, we're planning to host Julia from the Multicultural Health Brokers at the beginning of March. And uh, I'll just give a shout out also to the entire Leftovers team who helped put on this uh, webinar. Although I am the face on your screen right now, it was not me who created this. It was definitely our whole team. So thanks very much to everybody. And thanks for tuning in. And we hope to see you next time.
2: Thank you, everyone.
0: Ciao. Oh, I'm gonna play some accordion outro music. That's fun. I'll Feel free to exit that. as you as you go, everybody. But uh, <laughs> just as a, as an interim, as you're remembering to turn off your screen. Plans. Yeah, I think it's a really lovely way to like break the silence. We used it at the beginning a little too as we were uh, waiting Waiting for for everybody to trickle in. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, In part, but it was always part of the plan to add some accordion to it. So (laughs)
2: that's wonderful.
0: Thanks.
2: Thank you so much Garnet, for everything and your team did an excellent job
0: too doing all this. Appreciate that. Okay, thanks again and I think we will uh from now end the meeting. (laughs)
3: Take care. Thank you. Ciao. Bye.